Something you may or may not know uh, about me is that I love the change to daylight saving time. Uh, it should be just what the time always is. Every year I sign whatever petition I can find to abolish standard time and I will, until it happens, I will continue to do so. I count down the days every year until we get to daylight saving time. 19, if you're wondering. Uh, I don't love it for what it does to everyone's sleep cycles. Falling back is much more enjoyable, especially now that I have kids. But I love, love, love what it does for my brain when it is still light out at 7 p.m. I learned that uh, this time next week, even though we still haven't hit the time change, the sun will still be up or it will not have set by 6 p.m. And it will not set before 6 p.m. until like October or November of next year, which is so good. I love spring is what I guess I'm trying to say. Um, to be fair, this may be the first winter that I've really enjoyed. Uh, and if you know me at all, that is a weird thing for me to say. I usually hate winter as soon as New Year's hits. I love winter when it's like Christmas time because it's magical, but uh, January and February are historically my least favorite months. But this year I tried to lean hard into the things about winter time that I like. Um, and I was intentional about trying to become more resilient to cold because I'm kind of a big baby when it comes to cold. Uh, but I think it worked because I liked it this year. But traditionally, winter is really hard for me. I have some seasonal affective disorder. I don't know if you can relate to that. I know that I'm not unique in that regard, but uh, it was real bad when I was younger. It seems to be getting waning the older I get, like with my eyesight and hearing. I have less and less seasonal affective disorder. Uh, but it feels so ingrained in me 36 years in that I, I can't help it. I love, I love leaving behind the dark and the, the long, cold days and nights of winter. Uh, I love the time-changing symbolizing the coming warmth and light and green. Springtime, when, when all the dead things come back to life, there's leaves on trees, there's warm uh, evenings outside, there's rain. I love rain. Um, for like 10 years, the only thing I used Twitter for was to write rain in all caps and exclamation points whenever it was raining wherever I was which I don't recommend, lost everyone that followed me, which is fine. But if anyone did follow me, they knew what the weather was like if they were in the same city that I was. And some people appreciated that, don't recommend it. Anyway, every year um, when we shift to spring, I feel this renewed sense of energy and vitality. I've said this for many years, but I don't think it's a coincidence that spring cleaning is a thing. Uh, we come out of hibernation and we have this renewed energy to reorganize and reorder our lives. And this is where the season of Lent comes in, which again starts tomorrow. A Lent is a word that means spring, and it literally refers to the lengthening of days. Lent is an ancient Christian practice. Uh, it is younger than Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, but it is older than celebrating Christmas as a season. Um, Lent started as a time of training for people to get ready for baptism on Easter Sunday and eventually became a, a, just a whole season of the church calendar. Uh, it, it spans the 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Technically, it is only 40 days long because you don't count the Sundays, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, but Lent gives us some handles to be intentional about our growth. But Lent can also be a really heavy season. If you grew up in any sort of liturgical tradition, you know what I'm talking about. It can be a heavy season where we load up a bunch of things on ourselves to try to force some kind of uh, spiritual connection or development. Sometimes intentional or not, uh, Lent can be sort of about punishing ourselves. 
And that's not what this season is really meant to be. Rather than punishment, I would encourage us uh, this year to approach Lent as a season of intentionality, uh, pushing ourselves toward growth. Intentionally pushing just a bit further than, than maybe we think is comfortable. All in the name of reclaiming our identity as a means toward reclaiming our lives and growing more into who God created us to be. Like spring cleaning, Lent is about being intentional. It's, it's, not, it's, it's about being not passive. Uh, passivity is what leads to disorder and disconnection, um, but a little intentionality helps us reclaim and create space, um, reclaim ourselves and create space for things that really matter. It, it's basically all about intentionality. Lent is about being intentional specifically with, with our identity and where we get it from. Uh, to explain what I mean by that, we're going to be looking at uh, a story for, about Jesus in Matthew 4. Um, we look at the story almost every year on Fat Tuesday right before Lent starts because uh, the 40 days of Lent are actually based on this strange little story that takes place right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, um, a story about Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness and then being tested or tempted at the end. Uh, but I want us to notice the theme of identity that the entire story centers around. Uh, this story takes place immediately from where we left off last week. Um, so I'm actually going to rewind a little bit and just reread the story from last week because it's real short um, at the end of Matthew 3 and then go into our story for this week so that we're all on the same page. So this is Matthew 3 starting at verse 13 and we'll end in 4, 11. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Seems reasonable. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all, kind, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So we're told that Jesus has this amazing experience that affirms his identity as God's beloved child in whom God is well pleased. That's like the beginning of this story, which I don't know about you, but I feel, I feel like that's something that every child longs to hear from their parent, right? You are mine, and I'm so proud of you. Immediately following this, we're told that Jesus spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Now, the, the Jewish understanding of fasting is complex and it changed over time. Um, 
There's not one agreed upon view of the function that it plays or played in worship. Um, but to the best of our knowledge during Jesus's time, fasting was used to either express mourning or uh, to prepare for, an inspirit- for a spiritual encounter. It was sort of used as anticipation and preparation of a spiritual encounter. The Old Testament has many examples of both of these things happening with fasting. Based on the context, obviously, it seems like this is about preparation and anticipation. Uh, fasting is a way of intentionally getting focused and prepared. So 40 days of fasting, and then he's tempted by the devil or the tempter. Uh, the Bible kind of uses those terms interchangeably. The word that's used there can mean a number of different things. Um, but the thing I want you to notice is that all three ways Jesus is tempted are ultimately about his identity as God's beloved son. The tempter gets right to the core of who Jesus is by repeatedly saying, if, if you are the son of God. In other words, he's saying, how do you know? How do you know you're God's son? Wouldn't it be better to know for certain? Turn this stone to bread, jump from the temple, worship me, and you will never, you'll never have to doubt again. You will know, and you will be sufficient on your own. Each temptation pushes Jesus into a different, uh, to turn away from trusting God in a different way. In the first, the tempter invites Jesus to prove his identity through a, a display of power, right? Um, that is uh, establishing his, his validity and his worth and his identity through his own abilities. Turn, turn these stones to bread. In the second, the temptation is to test God's faithfulness to Jesus, thereby forcing God's hand and proving Jesus's identity to himself. Jump from this building and prove that you are who you think you are. In the third, which is more of a bribe than a temptation, Jesus has promised all the power and glory that the earth can offer if he will give his allegiance and devotion to the tempter, essentially allowing him to take on a different identity, an identity that he can be immediately, tangibly sure of when he looks out and sees everything that is under his rule. But in each case, Jesus rejects the temptation to take his identity into his own hands. And instead, he roots his identity in God's character and God's trustworthiness. Jesus is tempted by the devil who acts as if the reality of Jesus's identity is in question, right? If you are the son of God, are you really? Can you prove it? But Jesus's responses show that he's thinking about like entirely different questions. What does it mean for me to be God's beloved son? And how can I live out that identity in the world? I think Lent is is a season for us to consider these same questions about our identity. What does it mean for me to be God's beloved daughter or son? And how can I more deeply reflect um, reflect that identity in my daily life? Those words spoken over Jesus at the beginning of the story after he's baptized are also spoken over you. You are God's beloved child in whom he is well pleased. That's your identity. That's who you are. How can you more deeply reflect that identity in your daily life? And like we talked about last week, what's holding you back from doing that? The truth is we, we live in a world that is full of seemingly endless things, all competing and vying uh, and tempting us to let it, whatever it is, tell us who we are. In our postmodern culture, the initial way that I would be described tonight is straight, white, cisgendered male. These are the classifications that our culture has decided are the most important things. My sexual orientation, the color of my skin, my gender identity, and my biological sex. These are what our culture says my identity is. 
And these tell you like so very little about who I am. They don't tell you that I love spring. They don't tell you how much I love rain. They don't tell you that I think strawberry ice cream is the best invention that's ever happened in the world. Uh, they don't tell you that um, I love black Manhattans. They tell you nothing about who I am other than like just literal data. That's not an identity. Our culture is drowning in messages telling us what our identity is, who we are, that we are our skin color, that we are our sexuality, our gender, our nationality, our political affiliation, our job, our income, our tax bracket, um, the stuff we buy, our relationships or, or our singleness, our kids or our lack of kids. When none of these things and not even the sum of these things really ultimately hold our identity. So the questions for you and I this Lent are, what does it mean for me to be God's beloved daughter or son? How can I more deeply reflect that identity in my daily life? And what do I need to turn away from to turn toward what God is calling out of me? We respond to these questions in Lent by implementing different uh, disciplines and practices to help us intentionally rediscover and reconnect uh, with God and our identity as his beloved daughters and sons. Um, so if you remember last week, we talked about two-dimensional growth, right? We talked about uh, simultaneously turning away from something so that uh, something not beneficial to our growth so that we could turn towards something that helps us grow. Um, aligning with that idea, Lent has kind of two different dimensions of the practices that we might put in place during this season, giving up and taking up. Uh, those who observe Lent uh, often view these as kind of separate ideas, like separate categories, give up, take up. Uh, but I'd like, uh, like you do one or the other, you give up something or you take up something, but, but I'd like to encourage us to lean into two-dimensional growth and give up and take up something for the season. Uh, but let's talk about what these two different things look like. Um, first, giving up or fasting this idea of fasting like Jesus did in the wilderness. This is laying something down or, or learning to say no to something. Uh, these can be idols in our hearts uh, that offer us a false sense of identity or destructive habits that we know that we need to leave behind and Lent just sort of gives us handles for, for doing that. Or they could be things that, don't necessar that aren't necessarily bad but cost us time or capacity that we'd like to spend elsewhere for a little while. Um, or they could just be things that you want a break from and Lent is a great excuse to take a break. Uh, I know many people who take a break from social media for Lent. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I try to pay attention to things that I go to when I want to check out or if I'm bored. The things that quite unintentionally I allow to fill my life or the things that I use to avoid my life. Um, usually TV or my phone or, you know, games or social media, things like this. Um, now, traditionally, when giving something up for Lent, you give it up for the 40 days but not the Sundays of the season. This is where like it's 46 days long, but it's really only 40. Um, you don't count the Sundays because Sundays are for Sabbath. Sundays are for resting, they're for feasting, which means you can enjoy these things again. Or you can give them up for the entire season and not take a break on Sundays. It's totally up to you. There's no rules, no one enforces the rules. No one's gonna come around and check and make sure that you're doing whatever they think you should be doing. It's totally up to you, whatever feels right. Um, here are two questions that I think can help you uh, think through when you want to think about giving something up, what that might look like. Uh, what helps or enables you to avoid your life right now? This for me is the, the best question for gauging 
what should I take a break from this season? What helps you avoid your life? And then what is something that you receive a false sense of identity from? Something that, that you could put down for this season in order to reconnect with your true identity as God's beloved child. That's giving up. Uh, but Lent isn't just about restrictions or limitations or, or fasting from a false sense of identity. It's also about taking up practices to help us remember our true identities. It's about turning away from something so we can turn towards something better. It's two-dimensional growth like we've been talking about. So the second dimension of Lent is taking up a practice or discipline to draw nearer to God. Um, to draw nearer to God and remember our identities as his beloved children. Uh, this can really be anything. Anything that your imagination can come up with that fosters a connection to the divine. I think the key is to make it something that's actually attainable, right? Um, light enough for, you, for it to actually be feasible. You could take up a, a practice of, of prayer and journaling or some kind of daily prayer practice. Uh, you could take up um, some kind of intentional time to create, write, draw, paint, play, Find time to get out in nature on a weekly or daily basis. Take walks and pray. Sit in silence for a set number of minutes. Exercise. Take care of your physical health as an act of worship. Anything that helps you remember who and whose you are. What gives you life? That's what you're being invited into this season. Or perhaps take this time to do the things that you've been avoiding. <laughs> but maybe the Spirit is prodding you to do. Push yourself to reclaim your life, to grow more into who God has created you to be because you are a beloved child of God whose life is too precious to waste on a false identity. Here's a few questions to help you think through uh, taking up something for Lent. When do you feel a sense of connection and belonging with God? What helps you remember that you're God's beloved child in whom he's well pleased? What practices do you think look more like the life you want to be living? This year, um, what I'm going to try, no promises on how successful this will be. Um, I have ADHD, and that's real bad in the morning, so I need like some time to like get some dopamine flowing through my brain before I can really do anything. And so I spend like an hour in the morning playing different things on my phone, basically solving like different puzzles because it helps. Uh, this is my excuse anyway. It helps me generate some dopamine so I can start thinking. Um, so it's a lot of screens. I also turn on the news and watch the news in the morning in the background while I'm solving puzzles on my phone, uh, which is great. It's wonderful, but it's a lot of screens right as I start the day. So I want to, during this season, just cut out screens for the first 90 minutes of my day. Um, I'm kind of a weird old man, so I really love newspapers. So instead, I'm just going to read the newspaper. I'm not going to do the crossword puzzle. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Dang it. It's okay. I'm not smart enough for crossword puzzles. Um, so that's what I'm giving up. What I'm taking up is uh, kind of what I talk, talked to you guys about last week, that I feel like there's a sense of, like, I need to leave behind fear and be more bold about... Um, who I am and what I do and what I believe. And so I am trying over this 46 days, uh, six weeks, to get three meetings with uh, non-religious leaders to talk about TNL. So for instance, the first person I'm going to try to meet with is the mayor of Centennial. Uh, just to talk about the city, I, I lived here a long time growing up, and I live here again, and I would love to know um, 
who our mayor is. I actually don't know. I forget her name. Um, I think it's a her. Last time I checked. And uh, I want to just kind of let her know that we exist and see if there's ways that we could maybe together serve the city. So I want kind of three meetings like that over the course of this season. That's what I'm taking up. None of these are overly spiritual, right? They don't have to be these things like dripping in spirituality. These are just things that look more like the life that I want to be living, that I feel like God is calling me toward. Lent is an opportunity for us to live into grace, to reclaim our true identities as God's beloved daughters and sons, to intentionally push ourselves to more deeply reflect that identity in our daily lives. In the midst of a world that is full of distractions and noise and and busyness from all sorts of people and, and things trying to tell us who we are, Lent is a time to be intentional with our lives and to take hold of the life that we want to live, to clear out the old and start planting and building the new. It goes real fast. To just take a few weeks to be really intentional about two-dimensional growth, that's what we're talking about. So use this season wisely. Use it to make room to hear from and respond to God, to turn away from something so that you can turn towards something better. Use it to push yourself deeper into life because you are a beloved child of God and your life is too precious to waste. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for, um, I'm so grateful for this community. I'm grateful for a place to come together and reorient our lives around you together. I'm grateful for a community that is willing to engage in, in practices like this season of Lent because these things can feel like and, and take a deeper root in our hearts when we're doing them together. So God, I pray that um, that you would uh, kind of gently nudge each one of us toward uh, what you want us to focus on these next six weeks. Even if it's not any kind of traditional implementation of Lent, God, I pray that you would just be um, present in our lives these next six weeks in ways that we can't deny. God, I pray that uh, we would be at the very least intentional about growing more into the people that you've created us to be. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these people. We love you, God. Amen.